We're going to read these words together in just a few minutes. 13, 44, 8, 1. Because the numbers matter. (laughs) Because the numbers sometimes tell the story. 13, 44, 8, and 1. 13 months, 44 sermons, I counted, 8 series of sermons, some shorter, some longer, one incredible blessing. God has gifted Gaina and I. And so um, I wanted to stop here this morning and call the numbers. <laughs> 13, 44, 8, and 1. It was a little questionable, probably still is apparent to you, questionable that I'm here this morning. This means unclean. <laughs> and you can probably tell from my voice, <clears throat> a little under the weather, I'm uh, mostly on the other side of uh, what we've all experienced. I had the blessing this week of being honored with uh, both COVID and the flu simultaneously. It's called Flurona. I don't know if you knew that, but... There's a very select few of us that are honored to receive the gift, the blessing of COVID and the flu at the same time. So I'm staying social distanced and my mask on. I'm not trying to be unfriendly this morning. Or if I seem a little lethargic, it's not because I'm not really, really grateful to be here. And in fact, I wanted to do everything within my power to be here this morning, mostly to tell you thank you. Thank you for making some room Um, Don, you mentioned we got hooked up back there somewhere along the way, and what a gift it's been for us. And I pray um, um, an unfolding blessing for all of us. I wanted to say that. Thank you. And I also wanted uh, to say how excited I am to join you in welcoming Scott and Melissa to ministry here. What an exciting moment to be able to uh, open our collective arms and welcome them as they begin what God has called them to do in this place and to come alongside them and uh, to seek uh, God's presence and God's leading and God's uh, goodness in, in our life here as God's family. And so we are waiting with uh, anticipation for what God will do as Scott and Melissa come uh, to join us here. I want to ask you now to um, join me in the reading of the Shema. This will be the last uh, sermon in this series on the Shema from Deuteronomy 6. And I'd like for us all to read these words together. We'll read the full passage from Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, all the way through verse 9, as we hear the Word of God uh, for us today. Would you recite these words with me now, please? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God... The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. 
The commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Let us pray. Oh God, we give you thanks for these ancient words. We pray that they would meet us in this moment with the full force of all generations that have received them before us. And that by your Spirit, they will meet us with the full force of your desire for all generations that will come after us. Help us to hear. Help us to listen. We pray, O oh God, that as we stand in this moment, that you would um, open wide uh, the gates of your have uh, the gates of heaven and your, your blessings to rain down on Scott and Melissa as they join this family and lead and serve from this place. Help us to love them well. Help us to care for them well. Bless their ministry here. Pray that in these moments that you would speak to us, that even as you called forth all that we see and know by your word and your spirit, you would be present again today by your word and your spirit. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. The Shema, we have said, leaves us at the intersection of our faith and our children. I like that image. I don't know. Sometimes these images are important for me. And... Um, maybe they're helpful to you as well. And so I repeat them. You've noticed this about me. I repeat them over and over again. So with the Shema, it's the intersection, the crossing point of our faith and our children. Um, the sh these words lead us to that place. Or as I said last week, it's at the intersection of our faith of who God is and what God is doing, what we believe that God is up to in the world, and the generations coming behind us a rising generation, and not just the little ones that we love and adore and care for so much, but, but really for um, mothers and fathers and young children and children who are growing and learning and to young adulthood for a rising generation coming behind us. The call in the Shema, the structure of the Shema is this, to listen Hear, Israel, hear, O people of God, hear, O church of Jesus Christ. Turn your hearts, your minds, your ears, attune yourselves to God's presence and God's leading. Hear now, Israel. Hear, O people of God. So that in your seeking God's presence and God's voice and God's leading, you might love God more deeply with everything that you have, everything that you've got. All of the commandments, Jesus will say, are summed up in these. Love God with everything you've got. 
and let that love for God turn out into your love for everyone who's around you, your love for each other, those of you in this room, your love for the world around you, your neighbor. It's summed up that simply. Tune your heart, your mind, your ear. Listen for God's presence and God's leading so that you might love God and love the world like God loves the world. Right? And then, it's as simple as this. Teach those coming behind you to listen for God and to love God and to love each other. That's it. Teach your children these commandments. What commandments? Listen for God. Love God with everything you've got. Have an appetite for God and the things of God. Display that God for that love of uh, that love for each other. Right. We ended our time last week listening to words and melody that draw us forward into that calling. I suggested to you a pivotal moment of deciding, of choosing where we will listen and where we will follow as God leads. And I invited you uh, to create some space to listen to words and a melody that draws forward. Do you remember that last week toward the end of the sermon? Some of you may have been here, some of you may have not, but um, I think it's important to hear it again. And so I've uh, invited our friends to cue this up. We're going to dim the lights for a moment. And I want you to listen again to these words as we listen for where God is leading and calling us. And then we'll continue. So if you guys will dim the lights and share this with us. Long live the journey and long live the children we raise. And long live the memories like leaves the years carried away. And just like a tree that slowly grows, the higher we reach, the deeper we go. We're living for something that'll be here when we're old. And we're headed for some place a little further down the road.
long live the journey and long live the children we raise. Just like a tree that slowly grows, the higher we reach, the deeper we go. Because we're living for something that will be here when we're old and we're headed for some place a little further down the road. I don't know, maybe it's because I've reached this point in my life. Maybe this means something for those of us who are on the backstretch more than those who are on the front end of the journey. But this deeply resonates with me. And as I sit with you um, this morning at the end of this 13 months, and I think about this series and these words, and I think about God's presence and God's leading, these words echo in the backdrop of all of that for me. And as I suggested last week, perhaps, perhaps in a, in a moment of choosing, in a pivotal moment, that as this church discerns God's presence and God's leading and God's mission going forward, God begins to turn, gently turn our attention. You know how he does when he leans down and he grabs us by the cheek and points our attention back up again that maybe he's calling us to see that generation that's coming behind us, the children in our midst, the children even outside of our view here, in the periphery, in this community, and the families that come behind us of a rising generation as the point of mission. Now, perhaps we find God's life there in that place. It's the Shema that leads us back there to a calling and a mission like that, to teach these commandments to our children to love God. Listen, listen to these words. Talk about them, what? Talk about that command, to listen for God, to love God with all you got. Talk about these commands when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. If this is the mission for us, if this is God's desire to pour into a generation coming behind us, then perhaps that mission is portable, meaning it's not static. It has movement. It has flow. It has urgency. It's the move from the places where we live. Did you hear that? Talk about them when you sit at where? Home, the places where you live to wherever you go, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. It has movement, and it moves from the places where we live to the places where we go, wherever they may be, you see. <clears throat> it moves because it's born of the Spirit. And if it's born of the Spirit, it's animated by the Spirit. It has life and vitality it has purpose, it has meaning, it has vibrancy because it's born of the Spirit. It blows like the wind. And wherever the wind moves, we move. This mission to pour into the life of a rising generation of children and parents and families has movements. It's portable. 
because it's born of the Spirit. It's the Spirit that gives life. It's the wind of God that blew over the valley of dry bones that Ezekiel witnessed as he stood and he watched the lifeless people of God, right? And he prophesied, can these bones live? Can this generation know the life of God? Can this generation have a vibrancy and a fire and a passion for God that's unprecedented? by any other generation? Can the parents of children of this generation be filled and ignited with a wonder and an awe and a carefreeness to follow wherever God leads? Can these bones live? Ezekiel says. And God tells Ezekiel, prophesy to the to the wind. Call from the four corners of the earth and let the wind of God, the breath of God, the Spirit of God breathe on these slain so that they may live. It's the wind of God that gives the mission movement. It's the Spirit of God that animates the life of the mission. It's the wind, it's the breath that will bring peace to an increasingly anxious and troubled world. When Jesus had been crucified and buried. His followers were troubled. They were um, abandoned and confused and distressed. And they huddled together in a room holding um, all of the disappointment and the despair and all of the anxiety about the future, what now? They had given so much to follow Jesus, and now he's gone. And in that moment where they hold all of their anxiety and all of their despair, wonder of all wonder, wonders, Jesus appears in the room, and guess what happens? He breathes on them by his Spirit and says, my peace I give you. My peace will be with you. Could it be possible that a mission animated, portable, moving by God's Spirit not only brings life and energy and vitality, but to, um, can we acknowledge to an increasingly anxious and troubled world caught in the grips of despair. And just a little bit of suspicion about the future, or a lot, that rests upon our children and our children's children. That anxiety, you can see it, can't you? You can feel it. That the world that we're leaving them is a world that burdens them with an anxiety that's perhaps unlike any of us have ever experienced, and they, whether they can articulate it with words yet or not, they feel it. And it's only, it's only the presence of God's Spirit the breath of God's 
spirit to breathe peace over them that creates a future. This mission is animated by the Spirit of God. It has movement and it has vitality, not by our might or power, but only by the Spirit of God. And it's, can we acknowledge that the church in our own time and place has no life and no power and no future apart from the Spirit of God? I'm going to say it again. The church... Our life together as the church in our own time and place has no life. It has no vitality. It has no mission. It has no power, none, apart from the Spirit of God. So that when those believers gather in Jerusalem at Pentecost, it's only because the Spirit comes like a mighty rushing wind with tongues of fire and rest upon them that they have mission and they have purpose and they have life. The life of God has movement. The life of God's people has movement by God's own presence, leading, and spirit. Look, the people of God's origin as the people of God were as a tabernacle people, not a temple people. Do you understand the difference? Because the tabernacle, you pulled up stakes and you were on the go. You were moving to the next spot wherever God was leading and pointing. You were going. When you built the temple, you were kind of fixed in place, but the origin of God's people was with the tabernacle, not the temple. We were designed, called forth to be a people on the go. The mission is portable. So as you move out in mission, in God's leading for a generation, from your homes to wherever you go, when you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, when you get up, it's God's Spirit that animates and moves us forward. The mission is portable and Listen to this, the mission is visible. Last words we read in the Shema were these, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads and write them on your doors and your gates. The mission is visible. It has tangible expression and symbols. For generations, the Jews have taken this literally. Teflon, little black boxes with straps wrapped to one's hands and across one's forehead. Sometimes you may have learned in Bible school that they were called phylacteries. Teflon. Literally, you moved around with the Word of God, which meant the presence of God, not only written on your hearts, but it was strapped to your hand right there. And it was right here. Front of mind, literally, front of mind, strapped to your forehead. A small black box with leather straps, forehead and hands. These are the signs, the identifying markers, the tangible presence of God who goes before us written on our hearts. Right? 
I try and imagine all of the possibilities for what that might look like as we move with God's Spirit on mission to generations of parents and children. What does that mean? Does it mean that suddenly we begin to strap black boxes to our hands and our foreheads? Maybe God leads us to discover what that expression looks like for us. And I've thought of a few ways I'll share with you. You'll see the words here on the screen. Maybe it's witness of presence. Maybe it's choosing to be a sign or a symbol of God's living, loving presence by our presence in the life of a generation coming before us. Make sense? A generation coming before us by showing up by showing up. How many, uh, my, my kids grew up in, I've shared this before, my kids grew up in church, right? So, and usually relatively not mega churches, we didn't, our family didn't connect with, grow up in big, large churches. Usually smaller church communities. You've heard me tell the stories. And so my kids had lots of mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers in the faith. And they poured into them. What if every last one of us was thinking about where is one, where is one that I can pour into? One child, one family. You've seen some of the videos. I mean, social media is great for this because you got the TikTok and the Instagram and all the Facebook stuff with the short little videos and the ones I see that move me most are the human stories that get told in like 15 seconds, right? And the one I'm thinking of right now is the one where um, the kid comes to his school. He's like elementary graduation or something like that. And he's sitting there and he's, he's thinking that no one's come. And then he spots the, the families that, have you seen this one? And the kid just is transformed, right? Just because somebody showed up for him. What if you chose to just show up? You don't have to do anything, but show up and catch their eye. What if you chose to be called to be on mission to one child, one family? What if it were a child or a family connected to this church, or what if it were one that wasn't? What if your ministry of presence then led you to not only witness by your presence, but to words, to speak words into someone else of another generation, of a younger generation? You know, we don't really know who we are until it's spoken into us. It's biblical. It's what happens at Jesus' baptism. Jesus, up out of the waters of his baptism, hears the, sees the heavens open and a voice that says, this is my child in whom I am well pleased. We don't know who we are until it's spoken into us. And how many of us in our own experience did not see ourselves or our calling or our purpose until someone else saw it and spoke it into us? I told you the story before of my son, uh, my friend, Stephen McGee, in Dallas. And Stephen grew up, rough life, 
got in a lot of trouble in high school, and he was homeless, and then he found a place to live. That's how I got to know him at a shelter and had a friendship. And um, I came in one uh, day, and he was sitting there, and he looked up at me and he said, hey, I was looking for you. No one's ever said anything to me like you said to me. And I thought, I don't know what I said to the guy. I don't remember. I don't recall. I said, really? He said, nope, no teacher, no one in my family. No one's ever said that to me. And I said, what did I say to you? And he said, you told me. You said, I believe in you. He said, no one's ever said that to me. Do you understand the power? The Spirit-filled power of speaking words into a young person's life? And what God does with those words? And so I'm imagining these symbols, these visible signs, tangible signs of God's presence being the witness of our presence, but also the words we speak into another generation. And sometimes it's to a child, sometimes it's to the child's parents. Hey, you got this. It's hard. I wasn't very good at it either. I screwed up so many times because you know what? When you're a parent, you think it's just you. It's not. You got this, and I got your back. It's going to be all right. Words. The Spirit uses those words. And we're on mission with God in that way. It's our witness of our presence. It's our words, and it's wisdom. Now, sometimes we think that wisdom is tangible sign of mission to a younger generation. Wisdom. That wisdom is, well, let me tell you how it is. Let me explain to you. Um, the minute you say that to someone younger than you, you know what happens. Click. <laughs> That's not what wisdom is. I'll tell you what I think wisdom is. Wisdom is the ability to ask the right question at the right moment, not to tell someone the answer. Now, grab a hold of that one. I don't know how many note takers there are, but that's worth a note. Wisdom, passing on wisdom, is not so much about telling someone, well, here's what you need to know. It's the curiosity to ask the right question at the right moment. Leaving open the relationship so that a sense of, of wisdom might be nurtured, a sense of curiosity and holy wonder might be birthed beyond the telling of, well, this is what you should do. So we think passing on wisdom from older generations to younger generation is, well, you should listen to the older generation. They'll tell you what you should do because they've been there. Well, that may be passing on some instructions, but it's not cultivating wisdom. Cultivating wisdom is inviting someone into the space where you're having to think and wrestle and grapple for yourself with this. I think that the visible, the tangible signs of the mission of God, animated by the Spirit, 
to generations rising behind us are manifest in the witness of our presence, in the words that we speak, and the wisdom that we're willing to cultivate patiently. So when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, on your hands and foreheads, doors and gates, listen. God is speaking. God is calling. God is moving before us like a wind that blows where it will. The Spirit is moving. And we are grateful. Thanks be to God.